This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is episode 15. I'm Canyon Clark here with Nate Burgess and Scott Clark. Today we're going to be covering an article by Dr. James Kroll called Winterize the Herd. It's out of North American Whitetail, the winter edition. So we'll be talking about that. Um, he's really talking a lot about, uh, mostly about winter cover and how important that is and how often he sees that missed in uh, management plans and whatnot. So we'll be talking about that. Before I get into that, though, I did want to mention... Uh, if you guys haven't, check out the new website. I normally do this stuff at the end, but I want to make sure you guys don't miss it. We're at, giving away a consultation, too. So we'll be doing a free consultation for somebody. Um, go to RidgeHunterOutdoors.com. There's a tab on the top menu. Um, cons- consulting and Management Services, I believe, is the tab. Go to that. Go all the way to the bottom. Fill out the Get a Quote form. Put um, Consultation Giveaway in the Service Requested box, and that'll get you entered. And then just for entering, you will be... We'll offer you some special pricing on a consultation if you decide to go ahead and get one, even though you don't win. So, But there's no cost to it. won't cost you anything. Just go there and sign up, and you'll get entered to win a free consultation. So we come out and talk about the property with you, walk it, see it for ourselves, and then uh, come up with a plan, give you a map and some notes on what to do and all that stuff. So go check that out, guys. It's, it's the new website. We've kind of redesigned the whole thing so now we're more focused on just the management side of stuff we will still have eventually when we get to that point of having a storefront we'll still have an archery section of stuff where you guys can get stuff or you can send me a message on facebook send us a message uh, ridge hunter od if you want something you can't find it anywhere else shoot me a message i'll see if i can find it for you so that said we'll jump right on into today's episode and i want to start with nate's uh camera update because I haven't been in the field, and Jeff's not here. I know he went a couple times. Um, he went one time, he said he saw a few deer out in a cut cornfield, had a small buck come out uh, pretty close, but nothing worth shooting, he said. So I don't know if your camera's kind of been the same. Uh, yeah, not too much activity, not near as much activity as I had, of course, in November. Um, a few does, few fawns, and I think there's two or three uh, younger bucks fairly consistently coming by they're working a scrape uh on the way out to uh a licking branch anyway on the way mm-hmm. out to a big winter wheat field uh they're down in a low spot there that's where they normally come in and out uh to get in down there nobody you can't see them from the road or anything down there um so they're still moving around fairly regularly in the daylight uh but these aren't big deer mm-hmm. you know uh, 120 130 inch eight pointer maybe right whatever's left over probably. yeah and i do <laughs> think he's the most mature buck in the area uh uh, based on everything I've been seeing, you know, I mean, it uh, hit him pretty hard this year, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. What about with the shop? Any decent deer coming in? I know the numbers, obviously, are dwindling, but. No, we haven't seen anything. Just does trickling in. Uh, a couple of young bucks. Uh, probably wouldn't even go 120. Uh, this guy's cleaning up, either cleaning up their tags or cleaning up their herd or whatever they want to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, I did see, I think we talked about it last time, one of our buddies. That we're eventually going to have on the podcast shot a pretty nice buck ended up scoring in the 170s um he shot him and didn't find him they actually recovered that deer so that's been a couple weeks ago now um that was the last big deer i know of in our circles 
that has been shot. Not to say they aren't still out there, and you can't still find them, but I think like you're talking about that winter wheat, those kind of places, uh, if you got the brassicas that are still out there, that's the place to find them right now. But that said, we're going to go through this article now I guess by Dr. James Kroll. Um, it's called Winterize the Herd. Um, I'll start here uh, with his intro. He says, I'm still amazed how much interest in whitetail deer management has grown since I began my career in 1973. Yet, I'm even more amazed how, after thousands of outdoor articles and programs, there remains a great, a general lack of understanding, even among some professionals, as to just how complex deer management really is. First off on that thought, I think a lot of that has to do with um, the number of those articles and programs he's talking about having misinformation in them. (laughs) So sometimes too much information is a bad thing. But anyway, he goes on. While every property is different, and thus there is no universal management strategy, I learned long ago that the management communality is that you must find out what the limiting factor is on your property. No, that's singular, as in the number one limiting factor. Perhaps one of the most common and least understood is winter thermal cover, and that's what I wish to discuss in this column. So he's going to be talking about, like I said, winter thermal cover, um, how it differs from cover the rest of the times of the year. I know we've talked about it before. Um, there are different summer and fall patterns and the reasons for that. Um, but he's going to get in a little more in-depth about that. Um, first, though, he kind of defines what he means by limiting factors. Uh, he goes on to talk about some agriculture stuff and, and where whitetail manage- or wildlife management kind of developed out of that. Um, he gives a good example by this scientist um, he mentions in here. Uh, his last name, I believe, is Liebig. Um, he says he came up with a clever way to illustrate uh, the limiting factor point. He's, he used to use a drawing of a wooden barrel with some staves that were shorter than others. Some caused the barrel to lose water, but only the shortest ones caused the most damage. So if you think about a wooden barrel and not all the pieces come all the way down, um, the shortest piece is where that's going to leak the most water out of. So if you can fix that one piece, you might still have some leaks in other places, but it's not going to be near as bad as it was if you focus on that one piece and fix it. Um, and that one piece being your number one limiting factor of keeping water in the barrel, or in this uh, instance, keeping deer on your property. So he says, is winter thermal cover lacking? Every study we have conducted in almost five decades, plus those of many other scientists, point to energy being one of the most limiting factors for whitetails. Satisfying energy demands involves two activities, finding foods with high digestible energy, then conserving energy use through times of scarcity. In North American Whitetail's next issue, I'll discuss the importance of digestible energy, but let's look first at how deer conserve energy. So we might uh, come back to this when they come out with their next edition and talk about his next article on digestible food, because I don't remember if we talked about that during the podcast last time or after. We were talking about certain things that can digest better than others Mm -hmm. once the temperature turns off a certain... It gets so cold and all that. Mm -hmm. So that might be interesting to go over, so we may hit that one next time. But he keeps... uh, Continues here, he says... They do so in several ways, reducing activities that unnecessarily burn up stored fat and reducing exposure to adverse climatic conditions. That is where cover often becomes critical. So right there he's talking about um, basically the two things. Um, the biggest biggest limiting factor being energy for deer, right? And then the two biggest things you can do for deer, which is food and cover, which when we go to property consultations or when you look at your property those are kind of like the two biggest things on the hierarchy um food first and then cover uh and what your neighbors have so if you have one without the other then 
you'd look at doing the other. If you don't have either of them, I'd put in food first, then maybe come back and see what's going on, what changes with the food. Because every time you do anything, it's going to change something. Oh, yeah. So come back in after you do that and then look at the cover. Or vice versa, if you've got good food already and you're not holding deer, well, I'll look at your cover situation. Um, and we'll get into here about some ways you can do that. But um, we just talked a little bit before, Nate, on your property, um, kind of where the deer are going and why they're going that way. Because uh, yeah. you've got food in some places, but it's not necessarily where they're at Yeah. this time of year. Yeah. Um, uh, crops, crop locations, um, what is in the fields, the, the ag fields around me, uh, I can always tell the deer gravitate toward the corn, at least me, uh, up there where I'm at. Now, this year it is different because they've got winter wheat uh, in the bean stubble. Mm-hmm. The wheat's coming up good, so they are using the winter wheat. Mainly, they're still hitting the corn east of me. Um, there's a quarter mile between my fence line and then the corn that's on the neighbor with the horse pasture in between. Now, their horse pasture, there's some thick fingers uh, on uh, brushy hillsides and stuff that branch out in there that lead down to the creek bottom coming off of my ground. Traditionally, in the winter, all those deer are going to be down in my creek bottom and then over on the neighbor uh, where it runs over onto them. Um, And they'll stay down there because there's a a big hillside, a big east-facing hillside, honeysuckle all over it they're going to lay in that honeysuckle mm-hmm. up until uh, just a few years ago i always thought ah why do them silly things go down there to the sprout patch every year you know they right. just disappear from the woods up here you know where i hunt uh mainly uh that's where they're warmest down there you know mm-hmm. uh, i finally figured that out so anyway they go down there uh and then later through the winter you know you see they're working their way up on all this browse you know mm-hmm. and then you've got nothing green from i don't know five foot high and lower you right. know so they're browsing down there, but they're staying down there uh, because it's it's secluded. Uh, very little wind down there in that bottom, you know. That's where they can uh, stay warm easiest. Mm-hmm. And those, well, both of those things you said, like where they gravita- gravitate towards the corn and then that cover, uh, conserving energy and gaining energy because corn is carbohydrates. Yeah. You know, and that's where energy comes from. <clears throat> so they're going to go hit those carbs uh, to get energy for that cold weather. Yep. And then go hold up where the wind's not going to hit them. Yeah. You know, down in that honeysuckle, those thick spots yeah. uh, on the bottom of that creek. Yep. Those fingers in that horse pasture I was talking about, that's, uh, uh, they'll come anywhere down in that bottoms and they'll just use those fingers and they'll slip right out in that corn. You mm-hmm. know, it's perfect for them. Yep. Uh, and then uh, if the corn's on the other side of me, a lot of times they'll be staying in my deepest little pockets over there. It's not near as nice as what I'm saying they're staying in now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a quarter mile away. Um not near as nice of a draw, but they will stay over there if the corn's over that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to the article, he says there are two types of cover, thermal and escape. <clears throat> and there are two types of thermal cover, summer and winter. Summer cover mostly involves areas with a light overstory of tree canopies and low understory vegetation allowing the wind to blow through. Winter thermal cover, on the other hand, is made up of areas with a dense overstory canopy and higher understory vegetation. The tighter canopy reduces the amount of rain and snow reaching the ground during colder times, and the higher understory prevents the cold wind from passing through. Conifers provide the greatest winter thermal cover benefits, while hardwoods do not. So, right there, um, he kind of makes the distinction between the two uh, in the summertime and the wintertime, for obvious reasons. Um, in the summertime, they want it more open because it's hot, and they've still got to wear a fur coat all year long, so they want somewhere where the wind can move through 
Um, another thing to take into consideration for the bucks is when they're in velvet, their antlers are a lot more uh, tender. So they don't want to be in that high stem count stuff where they're banging around on, banging their antlers on everything all summer long. Um, and then when they do finally shed that velvet, well, that's when they want to be doing that stuff. And the rut comes around, they're leaving their scent on everything. So that's another reason they want a higher stem count in the fall and the winter uh, is for their antlers and where they're at in development and all that stuff. So, And then he says conifers are, are kind of the greatest winter thermal cover, which makes sense because you think about it, uh, most of the time they've still got their green. They're still green uh, in the wintertime. So you have a lot of overstory and understory just from them alone. Um you do have to have at some point some sunlight come through to get the understory he's talking about. So there maybe there's some open pockets within those conifers or whatever it might be, softwoods, um, which you're not necessarily going to find in the hardwoods unless you've got an area that's been logged recently where it's really opened up to canopy. Um, in that case, it's probably going to depend on what your neighbor's cover looks like because if they've got something good like the evergreens or, or pine trees or whatever, they're probably going to be there rather than your real open hardwoods even though there's a lot of ground cover because there's not as much cover on the overstory so the rain and snow still all falls in there if there's nothing like that on your neighbor's property maybe that's a good place where they're going to be because you do have at least that understory which i think in my opinion from what i've seen the understory takes precedent over the canopy it seems to be that way anyway for me i don't know what the sprout patch as far as like the the canopy is if there uh, is any yeah not much it's all junk trees for the most part uh there's a lot of ash trees um they're all dead now yeah. of course um yeah. in the, what we're in kansas aren't we yes, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um anyway all the ash trees around here are dead you can spot them you know real easy mm-hmm. um i'm gonna have to do something to try to clean them up i don't think i want them all falling like a big old mm-hmm. uh wad of toothpicks You're you right. know i'm gonna have to do something to try to clean them up and get an idea what to what to try to do to replace what mm-hmm. those things offered you know um so anyway uh a whole lot of wild cherry trees um nah, just junk trees thorn trees right. there ain't any good hardwoods up and down that creek bottom on me mm-hmm. uh so anyway um no canopy to speak of it's all just thick and nasty uh everything's about head high mm-hmm. on me uh, five or six foot you know uh so deer i mean they they just feel like they're in little walls and yeah. then and tunnels you know uh, running the ditch yep. so anyway they, they like it down there a lot yeah and I, don't, I don't know that canopy i think canopy would come in a second uh based on if it didn't i don't think your bucks would be in your your waterways and your bean fields and out in those you know fingers that you're talking about where you you don't have any necessarily any canopy that leads out into that so canopy obviously plays a, a role but but i think that the, the undercover mm-hmm. is what you got to look at first at least most of the time and when you think about it if your understory is six foot honeysuckle for a deer that's canopy too you know that's they're true. only four or five feet off the ground they still do have something over their head <clears throat> i mean you walk through in certain areas i'm sure probably down there if you look for it enough there's probably places where that's grown together almost like a tunnel and places where they go oh, yeah. through there yeah uh, there's stuff over their head yep so that's another consideration yeah too. i don't i don't go through there because i got a duck and a crawl and mm-hmm. but it's there yep <laughs> <laughs> yep yep the deer can fit down it. oh you gotta yeah. have it you gotta have it <laughs> um i don't know is there anywhere like on your neighbors or anything that have maybe some conifer patches or evergreens or not close anything like cedars not close i'd love a cedar patch um 
I know there's one cedar tree uh, on us. They rub it like crazy. Mm-hmm. Nah, never mind. There's about three over there on, on that one west side. But we don't have any cedars to speak of, any at all. Right. Um, just a couple. Uh, the closest I know that there's a patch would be about a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and, man, they like them. You yeah. Know? Uh, Especially this time of year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're big, mature trees. You know, I mean, uh, they there's nothing down low on them anymore. All those low branches are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, they're probably mature enough. They're, uh, that understory is not there. Yeah, they I don't mean, have that not, cover anymore. Yeah. yeah. So they're probably on the edges of all that, you know, because you never see them out in it anymore right. like you used to when they were, uh, when I was a little guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just barely see in there and you'd see the deer. But, yeah, it, it's too open on the ground for them now. Yeah. You know, I think Jeff's hunting there around one of those patches now, or at least part of the time. He talks about deer going in and out of there, and he thinks they, the needles and stuff, the undercover, the ground cover actually hold, retains a little more heat than it absolutely does. Just so I can believe that. Uh, I, now, these are, from what I can tell, these are fairly mature They're trees. They're pretty mature. There's not a ton down low, but there's enough, and there's a, quite a bit of deadfall in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like wide open, yeah. but, but it's, it's, fairly open it's not wide open and uh they're moving through there at least now i don't know that he's hunted enough or scouted enough got enough pictures to really pattern anything because this is his first year there mm-hmm. but uh yeah he thinks he thinks that that heat makes a difference on what they're doing mm-hmm. yeah um just there at the cabin as you're walking out on the drive um there's those two great big cedars at the end uh-huh if you're walking down there of an evening, like after the evening hunt, you can feel like a change in temperature from the ground just walking past those two trees where all the needles are on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much heat they hold if it, the sun's been shining. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like you'll be walking through there and hit kind of almost a little warm spot just where it's retaining all that heat. Yeah. I don't know what it is about them, whether it holds the ground heat, absorbs the heat from the sun, or what it is, but you can definitely tell a difference. <clears throat> So, yeah, and that's not that's not that's just a couple. Yeah, nice it's size. Two of them. It's two of them. So yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, back to the article here. Uh, he goes on. He says he's worked in uh, whitetails in pretty much every state uh, that they reside. He says the Great Lakes states once were dominated by forest of conifers until logging and the Great Fire completely changed the forest from conifers to hardwoods. He says surprisingly. Most residents of these areas think the massive stands of oaks, maple, poplar, and hickory are natural, but they're not. Yes, there are still some residual white cedars, wetlands, but many of these have disappeared under modern forest management. The change in forest composition led to deer migrating to conifer cover, serving as a yarding habitat. Most Midwest hunters and some biologists view this migration as being the way deer have always been, but it's not. Um, he says uh, he was talking. He talks about some. Uh, a project they did at the Grand Rack Hunting Club, Grand Rack Hunting Club, located in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula of Michigan. Um, he says when they began the management program, they knew exactly how many deer they had on the club in late December, which was zero. He says this an- annual migration increased mortality, especially in bucks, and it exposed them to increased harvest mortality from hunters using bait. Upon analysis, we found two things. Lack of high-energy foods and lack of winter cover. We devised a management program that used plantings of clover, chicory, and corn in a strategic pattern, each connected by conifer corridors and cover that we strategically planted. And he goes on, he says, In only four years, which we're going to come back to that in a second, In only four years, 
we reduced the migration to a trickle and we significantly increased the survival of bucks and fawn recruitment. So, um, like in that instance, just by going in and planting the food for them, and then he even talked about their, uh, I guess the way they set it up was they planted their food strategically and then in between the food they planted the conifers and stuff as a travel corridor. So I would guess that the deer were probably staying in those conifers and then moving out one way or the other to the food, depending on the wind mm-hmm. and what they were needing and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you kind of see an example there on a large scale, um, how much different it can make. Cause he says the, uh, the recruitment had more than doubled within those four years. So the deer they were keeping there, um, keeping them not just on their property, keeping them from dying from the cold, but keeping them from being killed by the neighbors. Yeah. You know, the guys yeah. using bait and stuff. Yeah. So uh, there's that advantage to it, too. But what I wanted to come back to there was, he says, in only four years, um, a lot of guys out there think that the deer management and whitetail stuff is like, okay, I'm going to go in this spring. We're going to do all this. And this fall, I'm going to have four mature bucks that I'm going to be able to hunt regularly in daylight. And I'm going to be on TV. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and it ain't that way. Yeah. Um, And that puts it in perspective to him four years is a short period of time to see that kind of results yeah and that's probably the truth Mm -hmm. i try to tell guys you know you probably aren't going to see that much this year you'll you know generally you'll see some kind of change in movement um if it's a cover issue um maybe you'll see some more deer staying on you but then it's going to take them a year to find everything and figure everything out yeah and once you go in and make big scale changes like that yeah so then the next year, I you know, two to three years, you're going to maybe start seeing some difference with your the quality of your herd, too. Yep. And a lot of that depends on the way you hunt it. But yeah. there, nothing is instant about it at all. Yeah. I mean, it's a process. You might get lucky. There would be potentially a nice, mature buck close that's mm-hmm. been through your place, but he don't really stay there. But if you make it nice enough for him, you know, he might he might move in there. Right. It kind of changes uh, his core range a little bit mm-hmm. um, in those first years. but. Yeah, I I think once you really start something like that, the young deer right then and then all the new fawns, you know, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's what's going to take over um, and use it the way you want. Yep. Especially and, after your first year, if you're doing something in the spring, it it grows and matures and does whatever it does in the, in the fall. They've already accustomed to whatever they've done every fall that they've been alive, and so they may not even be looking for something different until the winter, until now. Yeah, which is January, almost January one, February. So <clears throat> your first hunting year, they may not even be searching for anything. Yeah, until now. Now they'll find it next year, and so you're yeah. already uh, eighteen months into your, you know, your first time before yeah. the deer even say, "Oh yeah, All right." Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you're, especially if you, whatever kind of herd you're building from, if you're building from a herd that does not have a lot of maturity in it, you're looking at four or five years out. Oh yeah, doing this stuff. Before you're going to see consistent results, mm-hmm. as in mature bucks, uh, good doe numbers, stuff like that. So that depends on it, too. Now, like you said, you may be in an area, say you're just in one of those really good areas where there's a lot of mature bucks running around. You do all this stuff in the first year, and they happen to find it. So you get one or two of them that are staying on you for that first fall. But that's that's rare. It is. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're playing the long game when you're going and yeah. doing management work. And that's the way you got to look at it. Um, you got to set your expectations at the right level. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed. And that's if your neighbor has not already been playing that long game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and he's already got his herd, and they're staying over there. They've absolutely got no reason to come to you because he's already given that late winter stuff. He's already given them that That's early right. spring stuff. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what's your neighbor doing? How long has he been doing it? Doesn't mean you can't do it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. It's but you're not the only game in town. Yeah. Right? You know? yeah. Uh-huh. So in that situation, do you think? I don't know. You're running into that up there? I mean, no. when you first started, or, or did you um, fight your neighbors for management? No. Um uh, for, I'm going to say, five to eight years now, um, none of us have really been under the mindset of shooting any small deer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 130s, 140s would get shot. Um, I shot 140s. Um, I was still, man, I was still just plum tickled with that. Mm-hmm. Um we're all moving a little bigger all the time. Uh, kids, anybody's kids can do whatever they want. You sure. Know? Uh, but they've not, uh, that's not messed things up too much. Uh, we're finally really starting, like this year, for sure, uh, we really started to see, I really saw uh, a huge payoff in all that, you know. Mm-hmm. I had three much nicer bucks staying fairly regularly uh, than anything, wait, 20 inches nicer than anything I can remember, you know, in years past. And they were all right there pretty close. Um, I do think it was a big thing uh, with cover. We had a ton of cover. Um, and then the food, the food was all there, you know. I don't have too much food right now. I've still just got a couple of green plots. Mm-hmm. That big winter wheat field is good. Um, the neighbors right around there in my block, nobody's doing food plots as much as I am. Um, and I'm not even doing that much, but nobody else is doing as much as I am. Right. Um, it definitely is paying off. Um, so I was, uh, was going to ask you guys. So if your neighbors, like you're saying, he's got a, uh, a great setup already. He's been doing it for years. If you really like what he's doing, do you do exactly what he's doing, or do you try to mix it up a little bit to try to get a little bit something different than what he's got to try to pull? Do you do, do, you do the same and just make it a bigger property total, you know, right. you two combined, or do you try to do something different to pull them? I think it depends on how well, first of all, how well you get along with your neighbor. If you can go talk to him and get on the same page, I think, and you guys are both like what you're saying in your block, okay, we're not going to shoot anything that's not mature. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do whatever I can to complement that property. Mm-hmm. Maybe if there's something he's lacking that I got or I can have, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, maybe if he has pretty much everything, okay, we're just going to do similar stuff over here. Yeah. Um, if it's a neighbor that you can't get along with, uh, maybe you get on an aerial and you can see what he's doing, but you're not really talking to the guy. He doesn't want to talk to you, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, I think you get in and you do what you can for your property. Yeah. So, and and there may be two whole different. I mean, you know, as well as I do, you could go from one block out in the country to the next block, and they're two laid out two totally different. Oh uh, yeah. Properties. Yeah. So you got to take that in consideration. Yeah. What's best for your piece may not be the what's best for your neighbor's piece, but in the case where uh, you guys aren't communicating i think you go in and do your thing and then adjust as you go yeah so um if you go in and see uh one guy we actually did some work for was concerned about his neighbor because he's got three or four or five pretty big size food plots so he's really open and he does have some food so we focus more on cover and smaller yeah. little killing plots. Yeah. Let your neighbor, let his neighbor be the destination fields where yeah. they're going to go feed at night. Yeah. Try to keep them on him during the daylight. 
Um, so I think it depends on the every situation would be a little bit different. Yeah. If you think you're if you think he, your neighbor's successful, then you can compliment his success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he's been doing it that long, he's probably successful or at least somewhat had success. Yeah. Um, I, I may like fried chicken, but I'm not going to eat it. You know, I might have steak on Sunday. Yeah. So you know, if he's successful in whatever he's doing in his winter cover, doesn't mean you might want to have a little of your own, but maybe a little something different. Yeah. Just so that deer and I would assume deer's like everybody else. You know, they don't want to eat the same thing every day yep if they don't have now they probably do i don't know but yeah. i don't i know you yeah know. and that's well like we were talking about if they have say all of their stuff is just clover mm-hmm. or they've got all clover and nebraska plot they don't have any grains uh, maybe you can figure out what they don't have and yep. put it on yours to complement what they're doing yeah so those deer are using you know i think naturally they're going to go to what their their body tells them they need mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. so if yeah if they don't have any grains maybe that's something a guy could look at because the deer is going to you know at that level they're not going to know they want that or need that but they do so they're mm-hmm. going to go find it mm-hmm. and there's uh an idea and i kind of like agree with it to an extent if you can keep your food plots pretty consistent on your property as far as what you have in them now that's not to say you can't have beans over here and corn over here and maybe a small clover plot in one spot but um being pretty consistent as far as what kind of seed mix you're planting in your plots um, that are all roughly the same type of plot. So it's all like an acre plot here, and you got an acre plot here, and one of them's a half, and one of them's an acre and a half. So you plant all the same seed mix. It creates consistency not only within your plots, obviously, but within the deer herd because they're not going to think, like what you're saying, okay, I'm going to go eat this clover one day, and then the next day I'm going to go eat the brassicas, and then the next day I'm going to go eat winter wheat, um, and then they're really hard to hunt because they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of consistency in their movement because they're not getting the same thing everywhere. They got to go everywhere different. Yeah. So maybe you create some inconsistency on your neighbor's property by planting what he doesn't have, and then at mm-hmm. least part of the time you're getting those mature bucks on your property because he doesn't have what you're offering him. Yep. If that makes sense. So I think you know again it comes back to your property and what you know every situation is different, but mm-hmm. I like. You know, that's probably those couple strategies. Probably what I would do. Yeah. Like I said, what we did with that one guy. Yeah. Um, focused on the cover and some travel corridors and pockets of food rather yep. than these great big open open fields. Yep. Because ultimately, if your neighbor's going to plant a ton of food for them out in the open, where they're not going to be during the daylight, uh, that's fine. Let them go over there at night. You know, yep. he's successful in what he's doing, so you can complement his success mm-hmm. and then try to do what you want to do with what, however you're complimenting that, yeah. whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to the article here, um, he's going to kind of close it up. Uh, I'll read through all of this last piece here. Um, he, he says, this is just one example. He's talking about that Grand Rack Hunting Club. Just one example of improving the productiv- productivity and health of a deer herd. So, how can you put this to work on your hunting in your hunting territory? First, obtain a recent aerial image of your land. This cannot be any easier today. In general, there are two types of aerial images available, leaf on and leaf off. These terms mean the image was either taken when the leaves were on the trees or when the leaves were off in the winter. With the leaves gone, you can see clearly how much conifer habitat you actually have. Note, if you have less land, do the same thing and see what your neighbors have to offer the shared deer herd. Also, look for obvious travel corridors that may be enhanced to connect thermal cover to food sources. The further south you go, the faster conifer plantings will grow, making return on your investment in time and money faster than in the north. 
In northern properties, you may search for young stands of understory conifers you can use to landscape for whitetails. My rule of thumb is for there to be about 20% winter thermal cover. Good deer management involves analyzing each property for the things it provides and those it does not. Then you must decide which one is the most limiting and use a little common sense to figure out how to reduce the impact. So, it kind of wraps it up a little bit like what we were just talking about. Um, finding out what you have, what you don't have, and then going from there. And the aerial thing, he says it can't be any easier today. It can still be tough, I think. Um, you're somewhat limited as to what aerial pictures you can have to either what's on Google or Onyx mm-hmm. or uh, Hunt Maps or Hunt Stand. Some um, of them aren't too recent. Right. And I think it's probably – it's hard to – say that you can definitely find one where it's been in the wintertime or the summertime. Um, but if you can do that, that's, that'd be a really good way. Yeah. You know, if you know someone who's got a drone. Yeah. Uh, for sure. A drone. That'd be, that'd be, yeah, the you could go, go up and, and do that. I know um, the Google earth, uh, picture for, uh, like say over around Mount Erie, um, that was taken when the floodwaters were out and it just looks like a lake. Yep. Everything looks <laughs> yep. like a lake. Doesn't do you any good. <laughs> yeah, not really. Nope. Right. <laughs> and then I was going to say, uh, like the Google Maps image, uh, when I went out west to do some hunting, I was doing scouting on that. And the Google Maps image was taken at a different time than the Google Earth image. Yeah. I think the Earth image was in the wintertime and the Maps image was in the summertime. So yeah. it was like you could see a little bit of difference in there and what you're getting into. But so maybe that's something you check out too. But. Uh, Obviously, if you have access to it, the best way to do that would be, like you said, a drone. Yeah. You could get out there right now with all the leaves off. You're going to get a really good picture of what you got going yep. on. <clears throat> and like what he's talking about, you'll be able to see how much winter thermal cover you actually do have. Because walking around at our eye level or whatever, depending on how your land lays and all that, you may be looking around and think, you know, it looks pretty thick in here. And you get up top and see from the top, and boy, it's just open. Yeah. You know? Um and then from a deer's perspective is even different still because they're lower to the ground and all that but there's actually the same property i talked about before that i can't do much with um it has zero cover on it for winter time the only wood in there is hardwoods um, so it's real open um, there's a little bit of like the buck brush and stuff in there but not a lot so they use it in november when they're running through the rut a little bit early season just traveling from feed field to feed field or whatever um, but this time of year not only do the deer get spooky from gun season and kind of run off, but in the late winter, boy, uh, depending on what crops out there, it gets tough because they just don't stay there. Yeah. Um, they go to the neighbors. They got a lot of really thick, kind of like what you're talking about with the sprout patch, mm-hmm. younger timber, some thick honeysuckle stuff. Yep. Um, I think a tornado went through a few years ago and ripped up a bunch of their stuff, so it opened it all up, and they got a lot of understory mm-hmm. in there. Um, so... Depending on what crops out there, you may get a herd of does come out, and you can shoot a couple of does. But as far as the mature bucks go, they're just not there this time of year because it's so open. Yeah. Um, so I can definitely see that as opposed to, like, at the cabin, there's not, I mean, less than the 1% probably of the trees out there are mature timber, less than 5%, you know. Um, it's a lot of autumn olive stuff, honeysuckle stuff, tons of winter cover. Um, so I think there's probably more chance of a mature buck staying on that 10 acre piece as opposed to one staying on that 160 acre piece after hunting season, after <laughs> hunting season, you know, which is not bad. It's not yeah. a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Especially the gun season pushes them on there. So, mm-hmm. um, definitely go check out, uh, 
your property and what you got going on there. If you can't find it on the Google Maps or something, um, you can get pretty good recon right now from just going and walking around. Uh, we got two weeks left in the season, but as soon as that season's over, um, you can do some shed hunting. Mm-hmm. And while you're doing that, you can look around and get an idea of what you got going on. Yep. Uh, right now is the best <clears throat> time of year to see because all the green oh, stuff's yeah. off. Yeah. Um, you can see, really see what you got as yep. opposed to trying to walk around in the spring or summer where you can't see 30 feet. Yep. You've just had a whole fall and an early winter of uh, them using a place you can see exactly what they've been doing. Exactly. What they're Not doing a lot right of poison now. ivy out there right now. Uh, really. yeah. <laughs> I've already got buddies sending me pictures of bucks uh, have dropped horns around here. Not many. Um, but a few. Yep. And that's uh, what you just said there, too. The sooner you can get out after the season's over, the more recent that sign is going to be from the hunting season. Yeah. Because when you go out there, like, uh, in June, July, August, most of that sign's their summer pattern. Yep. Which is going to change. Yep. You can get out there now in the late winter, you know, February, Jan- end of January, February, even beginning of March, you're still going to be able to see that sign they were using in the fall. Yeah. Which is going to be way more... Uh, useful to you than what they're doing in the summer because you can't hunt them in the summer anyway. Yeah. You know. Yep. You so. can differentiate fresh rubs right now versus uh, rubs that they made October, September, you know. Yep. Uh, yeah, it'll kind of show you where they've been, where they're at now. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of benefit to that, just getting out on your property. Don't think just because the hunting season's over, you just forget about it for a year. Go back in October. And again, this is even stuff that you can't do a lot with it right now but here in the next couple months you know it's coming up fast uh, this is stuff you this is planning time so you start getting your plan put together now thinking about this kind of stuff for next winter um, you can see right now what you're lacking this winter what went wrong this winter and think about fixing it because the springtime is the time to fix it so put your plan together now go out there see what you got think about this winter thermal cover do you have it or do you not um, do you have food for him in the wintertime or do you not like i said we'll probably hit on that when he comes out with his next article because i uh i like reading his stuff he's pretty good i think we've done one other one by him um so that would be pretty good too we'll talk about that a little more in depth probably but get out there and put your plan together and then in a couple months we'll be ready to put a plan into motion um, so we're going to be talking about that stuff more too as we transition out of the deer season um We'll be a little less on the like the field reports and stuff, and we'll get into more of the management stuff and what to plant, when to plant it, why to plant it, um, the cover, all that good stuff, travel corridors, making those and all that. Um, maybe get into predator hunting stuff, um, what you can do in the summertime to you know get ready for the fall again next year. So we're kind of in a transition period right here. We got two weeks left, so don't feel like you're out of time to go out there and get it done. Um, but it's winding down. So we're moving into the, the management time, which is to me kind of almost as fun as the hunting part, you know, getting out there and putting everything together. Yep. That starts you getting ready again. Uh huh. That's right. So thanks for listening guys. 